churches. I visit about 35 or 40 different churches every year. And uh, over the last 10 years, that adds up to a lot. And I get to see a lot of people and a lot of ways that worship is done. And, and I always feel like uh, this is just so special. Uh, things are, are done well and, and uh, it's just fun, fun to be here. I don't know where I'm allowed to walk, but I move around a lot and some of these go kind of in there. But I am just thrilled to be here this morning uh, at home at Williamsburg Church. A lot of you are familiar with the story in the Bible where God parts the waters and all of Israel walks across, you know, pursued by Pharaoh's armies. That's in Exodus chapter 14. We know that as the crossing of the Red Sea and all that related things. And some of us know it better from movies. Uh, maybe you remember it from uh, uh, Charlton Heston. And he was Moses, right? Cecil B. DeMille's epic picture. Or the newer story, I think I've got a photo up there somewhere, of uh, Prince of Egypt, the Pixar studio effort. Same story. Maybe you've seen that with your kids or your grandkids. The neat story is that it's all, all real. It all happened. And God was able to just reach into the crisis that Israel found itself in. And he was able to redeem them at that moment with this miraculous intervention. He touched a situation that had no way out. No possible good end to come from this. And made it an absolutely amazing, startling change in the circumstances of these people. In today's terms, we could, just like a lot of the New Testament writers do, talk about our salvation in that experience that they went through. Some of the New Testament writers allude to the fact that we have been you know, baptized like Moses went through the water. And that first crossing is like leaving our bondage. We have, been, we have been slaves to sin. We have been, we have been captured in many ways by, by the forces that are arrayed against God. And then God reaches into our lives with this miraculous intervention and we're free. We leave our, 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 our bodies, this temporary home. We haven't exactly seen that yet, but it's coming. It's just as real. It's just as certain. And we're going to have this eternal one, not fully realized yet but coming soon, just like the motion pictures, right? But a lot of Christians don't remember that this is only the first time God opened the waters up and Israel walks through. There was a second crossing. Actually, in the interest of full disclosure, it happens two more times. Elijah and Elijah both do that to show the transition of their ministry. But we want to look today in the third chapter of the book of Joshua. The second crossing of all of Israel as they move from the wilderness wanderings into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan. Now this is a picture of the Jordan River. It's not too impressive, is it? That's actually one of the deeper places on the Jordan. And, and in tradition, which is probably completely wrong, uh, this is the area Jesus was baptized in. If you ever visit there, all up to the left are, are wooden platforms where you can view that. But that's a kind of a deep pool, very quiet. That does not look like it would be too difficult to get across. And especially if you go a couple hundred uh, yards north of there, it's about 18 inches deep and about uh, 60 feet across. You could get across that, couldn't you? But if you look at our text, which we haven't yet, but when we get to that, you're going to see that there was a little 
kind of throwaway line in there almost. It says it was the flood season. Look at that same Jordan River in the flood seasons. 15, 18 feet high, debris washing down it, old logs from up in the north, and, and just impossible, full of mud. You can't see the bottom. You'd be swept away in a heartbeat. It says that it was at flood stage when all this happened. So if the first crossing illustrates our salvation coming to know Jesus, to me, this miraculous crossing represents the challenges that are in our lives, both personal challenges and challenges as, as his church, the body of Christ. We live our lives facing second crossing challenges over and over and over again. Do you know that the average family in the United States has a major disruption or crisis every 2.7 years? Birth, death, job change, relocation, all kinds of things fit into that. Every two points, some of us feel like it happens every three or four months. But the average, that's a lot. You translate that into a church of a couple hundred people and think how many families at any given moment are dealing with significant crises. There are places in our lives as believers where we have to push through the, the difficulties that surround us to do the ministry God calls us to there are places in our lives that we have to push through the barriers that are erected to allow us to be the people God has called us to be. There are places in our lives where we deal with crisis and challenge, and we have to figure out how to surround that with God's help to do what he's called us to do, to be the kind of people he has called us to be. There are areas we struggle with, personally. But there are also areas the churches struggle with. Different kinds of issues that seem to come over and over and over again in the life of a congregation. And they keep us from doing what's most important, which is reaching the world with Jesus' message. Our mission hasn't changed. Right now in Virginia, on an average Sunday, which this is probably a pretty average Sunday, 17 and a half, I don't know how they come up with this half, 17 and a half people out of 100 are in a church today. That's every kind of church you can add up. Mainline churches, Catholic churches, evangelical churches, independent churches, any kind of church. Set over Just over 17 people out of 100 in church today. We have our work cut out for us. There's a lot we are supposed to be doing. And the obstacles to doing that are sometimes, sometimes pretty formidable. But we, what we can't do is get complacent. What we can't do is get satisfied with where we are. What we can't do is to think it's someone else's job. It's the ministry and the mission God has placed on everybody. Everybody. And if God performed a miracle as the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, it ought to be our prayer that God performs miracles here at Williamsburg Christian Church. It ought to be our prayer that the ministry and the growth that I know you want would accelerate and multiply and reach people that we don't even know today how to talk to. It ought to be our prayer here that what occurs at Williamsburg should be something not easily explained by human effort because that's not what God has designed us to do. It should be only fully described by the miraculous handiwork of God in what he's about. It ought to be our prayer that the work of this congregation will emerge from a dynamic relationship with God that invites him to do more than we can even imagine. Because you see, that's where our God dwells. He dwells in the midst of the miraculous. 
And that leads us to our text. If you want to turn to Joshua chapter 3, you can read the first four verses there. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped out before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. To keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, do not go near it. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we open your word that we might see how you would have us to order our lives, what our priorities would be, how to love you more fully, how to serve you with more energy, how to find grace and mercy, how to be challenged to live fully in the spirit each and every day and to bring praise to you that we don't hear your word and walk away unmoved. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Amen. Before every miracle, God says, I need a problem. Think about it. Miracles don't occur without a problem to deal with. The Israelites faced big problems. They had leadership problems, didn't they? They were in the wilderness for 40 years. How many of the original leaders are going to enter the promised land? Glad you can answer that. You had it right, Dave. You better say it. Two. Two. Caleb and Joshua. They had to train all new leaders. Moses was gone. They're moving a million people into this land to organize and to take it over, and they all were new at what they were doing. There's a challenge for them. Growing churches need godly, sold-out leaders who will step up to the challenges, who will take calculated risks, who will be God's people regardless of the common sentiment. Because, you see, our goal is to reach more and more people who are living their lives further and further from Christ. Williamsburg Christian Church has good leaders. Williamsburg Christian Church has, has a, a heritage of doing good things. And you've got a new guy coming. October 17th, did I hear? Uh, just a little editorial aside, we were interviewing Fred to start a new church in Morgantown. And we're prepared to offer that to him when you knock in <laughs> and send us back to square zero for the second time. The first guy we were going to hire is now a professor at uh, um, Mac. What is the name of it? Used to be Roanoke. Mac U. Thanks, Mac U. Uh, I keep thinking that the Macintosh school down there or something. Anyway, the, uh, he's down there. The second guy that we were ready to hire is coming here. I'm thrilled. He's a great guy. He's an A candidate. He was, he was a super, super candidate. We're really excited. I'm glad he's going to be living nearby and we can get to know him too. That's, that's fun. But you have to understand how big the leadership problems were for Israel. All these untrained, untested, uncertain leaders going into a new land to do a new thing. That's where we live our lives. Folks, risks are important. If you never fail, you're not trying hard enough. You have to fail sometimes. And leaders are either going to be risk takers, which is honoring God, or caretakers, which is mediocrity, 
or undertakers and just bury the bodies. You don't have any other choice. That's all there is. And then they have a lack of experience problem. You see that Joshua chapter 4 or verse 4? You'll know which way to go because you've never been this way before. You need new things to reach out to new people in new ways. Whatever you did to get where you are will not take you to that next step. You can't go back and recreate 20 years ago or 40 years ago or some other era. It's never going to work. We have to address our culture at our time and every generation has to win the current generation. Every generation has to figure out how to say the eternal message that never changes in a fresh, positive way to reach people who are desperately lost and living so far from God they don't even see Him. You need to live and to learn on the growing edge of your faith where you're tested. Not doing everything you know how to do so well that it just becomes routine, but move out here where you're on the edge, where if God's not with you, it falls apart. Or where you take the wrong step. It might fall apart anyway, but God will bring you back. And then they had that little bit of water problem, the flood. How are you going to get a million people across uh, 200 yards of 15-foot hard-running water? That's a challenge. But you know, I think that's a whole lot of the things that are in front of us trying to reach the folks that are driving by the roof building right now is that we've erected barriers we don't even see. We've erected barriers by how we use language. We've erected barriers by how we design our buildings. We've erected barriers because we just think they don't want to come to church. There's lots of choices. And that's not true. We have to go to them. We have to figure out how to, how to live with them and understand and to work with and to honor and to pray for and to see them come to know who Christ is. Remember, God says before every miracle, I need a problem. And every miracle in the Bible starts with a problem. Remember the uh, storm raging out there and these handful of fishermen were so scared they're kind of sniveling in the corner of the boat. Jesus has to stop them. He rescues them. There were 5,000 men in one gathering who were all hungry. And I know this is hard to believe, but you couldn't get to a Cracker Barrel in a, like an hour. Every, every miracle comes because of a problem. Now, I know that many of you have been praying for this church. But I think many of you also are praying for yourselves. That God would do miracles in your life. Remember, before miracles happen, there have to be issues. There have to be problems. Some of the problems are financial that we face. I talked to a, to a, a young man who's a new Christian who's 27 years old at one of our new churches. He's $280,000 in debt for his education and two credit cards that he didn't know how to control. He's making $52,000 a year. He says, I don't have a future. And we talked to him about how to make a future out of where he was. There are people who are out of work. There are people whose marriages are far from what they ought to be. There are people whose children are making decisions that we just can't hardly understand. There are people who are, who are struggling with parents who are aging, like David, on his way to uh, Ohio right now. I'm on my way to Pittsburgh probably next week. Before every problem, we have the opportunity to seek God. Before every problem overwhelms us, 
we have the opportunity to understand that God intervened. Before we feel like we're just being swept away without a future, we have to understand God loves us. God intervenes. God is powerful. And it's an opportunity for God, regardless of the problem, for him to do a miracle in our lives. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. There we read on and says, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And they took it up and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the, walk, in the river. Second point is before I, before every miracle, I need commitment. I need commitment. The word there, consecrate, can be translated purify or sanctify. And it means in the Hebrew simply to, to separate, to devote, to make holy. To dedicate ourselves to God above all else. To focus on God more than we focus on the problems. To prepare ourselves to encounter a holy and awesome God. I was, I was excited this morning early when men gathered to pray for the worship. And when John led the, uh, the team up here in prayer for the worship. Preparation is a lot of the battle. If we want God to do miracles in our lives, we need to purify ourselves. We need to be a holy people. We need to focus on Him and focus on His plan. We need to avoid what is our natural inclination to keep centered on the problems we want Him to fix. That's where I live my life. It is, it is a struggle. My job sometimes is to go to a church and evaluate the worship service. Now, I can't go to a church <laughs> without thinking, the bulletin's crooked, you know? The slide isn't right. It's awful because I'm there to worship and I'm distracted by meaningless little things. I don't think I'm alone. We get ourselves on, off track. We get ourselves in, into, into places where we just don't understand why we're not in, encountering God and we've not prepared to meet Him. We've not spent time in His Word. We've not prayed. We've not even, we've not even thought about it who he is until we walk in the building. You know, this is not the only time in the Bible that God asked for commitment and consecration before he did a miracle. And in, in the Old Testament, it's by far the rule, not the exception. Abraham had to, had to seek God and, and prepare before he ascended that mountain. Joshua had to search his armies out when they were defeated at a small village at their second battle and seek God's face as to why they weren't successful. Gideon had to figure out how to, how to reduce his army to a small enough force that God would be honored. Daniel's whole life was a preparation for one moment when he would stand up before Nebuchadnezzar and say, our holy God doesn't allow me to bow to you. And even Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before he began his public ministry. God says before every miracle, I need a consecrated people, a holy people, a people who are listening to me, a people who are focused on me, a people who care about me. I know some of, uh, some of the folks here used a book at one point. It's called Blue Like Jazz. There's a really interesting little story in the middle of it that I love. And it talks about this 
campus he was on that was had four Christians as far as I knew on the whole campus. And they would meet together and have Bible studies and they'd put posters up on the wall saying, come to our Bible study. And there were same four people for like a year. And then they were having some massive uh, party all over the campus and they built this thing right in the middle of the, uh, the quad, I think it was called, where people would come across. And they built this thing called a confession booth. And the four of them hung around there and this one guy finally came by and he says, you, you gotta be kidding. I'm supposed to tell you all the things I did already or the things I'm still planning to do. And, uh, and the man answered him. He said, no, it's not for you to confess. It's us to confess to you. It's us to take time to tell you that we have been unkind, that we've been judgmental, that we've been unfair, that we've been unrighteous, and went through this whole list. And this guy's trying to stop him. You don't have to do that. He said, yes, we do. That following week at Bible study, there were like 75 people who attended. In the midst of problems, it is so easy to focus on secondary things. So easy to focus on some, some solution that has come to our minds, especially in the church. How are we going to pay for the mortgage? How are we going to grow? How are we going to do this? We have gathered this day to worship God, who is able, beyond anything we can conceive or imagine, to handle everything as we become a holy and righteous people and listen to him and follow him. If God is going to do a miracle here, everyone needs to stay focused on him. To consecrate ourselves as the body of Christ and not focus solely on the problems and hurdles that all people face. Before every miracle, God tells us, I need commitment. I need commitment. And then in Joshua, down in verse 14, chapter 3, we pick up the account. He said, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arba, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Before every miracle, I need a step of faith. They had, they had a problem they could not solve. They had taken time as a people to consecrate themselves in preparation for this, and God went to work. And notice two really significant things, two questions. The first question is, when did that miracle happen? It happened as soon as the, feast, the priest's feet touched the water. Think about it. The priests could not wait in the grandstands for God to do this. They had to take this step of faith. They had to go out and step into the Jordan. God expected all of them to partner with him in the miracle he was doing. I love this description of a football game. It says it's 22 people in desperate need of rest watched by 65,000 people in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's a lot of our churches. 10 or 12 people in desperate need of 
some sign that it's being heard by God, watched by hundreds of people who haven't engaged. God wants us to participate with him in the miracle. He wants us to participate. Abraham still had to ascend that mountain and tie his son and raise the dagger. Joshua still had to go back and fight that battle. Gideon had to go into the most fierce, fierce army in the world with trumpets and jars of clay and lamps. God doesn't do the miracle without our step of faith. Peter was told what? If you want to see if you can walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. You're not going to know if you just sit in there that this is real. You can't see what God is doing if you're not engaged with what God is doing. That makes any sense. You've got to be out there. You've got to be challenging your faith, the, 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 the commonplace or the ordinary, because that's not our God. He is beyond all of that. What are some of the second crossing issues for this church that would just, would just excite you about what God would do? to enlarge the scope of the ministry here beyond any boundaries real or imagined that you can see, to make an impact on this community so that righteousness would begin to abound from this point? Would it be a miracle if next year scores of people meet and trust Jesus Christ for the first time right here? You can help start a new church. You can help start a new ministry. You can help start a new outreach. You can help start a new service. You can help do all kinds of things to partner with God in doing the miraculous. Would it touch your deepest longings of your heart if the, if the children's lives of this church were permanently stamped with the image of Jesus? Folks, there are significant challenges on the horizon, but let me tell you something. There always are. There always are. And God says, they can't be met in your own strength. But you have to take that step. God says, you cannot by your own strength enlarge the kingdom, but you have to go share your faith. It takes a God-shaped, spirit-fueled faith to rise up to God-sized kingdom ventures. If these are the miracles you're seeking, remember God says, before every miracle, I need a step of faith. You have to get your feet wet. Your church will not grow without your investment and your adaptability and your sacrifice and your courage and you have to get your feet wet. Your children and your youth will not become like Christ on their own. They're going to need models and mentors. And, and Garrett does a great job with your youth, but that's not enough. That's not enough. You're going to have to get your feet wet too. The opportunity to honor Christ and to exalt his name and to see people come to him in faith. You have to get your feet wet. God can do miracles here, and I know that because God has done miracles here. Are you willing to partner with him? Are you willing to get your feet wet? Are you willing to try? And the second question is, did you notice where the waters piled up? A little village called Adam. And how far away is Adam from where they crossed? Somebody must have read at least one of those many pictures. How many miles? Thank you. Ninety <laughs> miles. But I want you to think about that really hard for a minute. You got this wall of water. The priests go out and step in it, 
and it stops. But where did it stop? 19 miles up there. When did he start that miracle? Before they ever put their feet into that water. God works upstream. God works in advance. He works behind the scenes so that when they took their first step, there's the miracle. The miracle was just as much in the timing. He started that miracle long beforehand, but the miracle happened when they took their step of faith. And God still works that way today. He works upstream in our lives. I, I, I have friends here. I know how God has prepared things for you at a particular moment and then seen them unfold. Some of you know my story. I was headed to uh, graduate school to, to get a PhD and go teach somewhere because I, I couldn't stand the church. And God changed my plan and sent me to this little congregation in, in the middle of Tennessee with 35 people and the most godly elder that changed everything for me. God was working upstream when I couldn't find a house for a week out in the West. Tim Coles, our director of church planting, he was a missionary in the Ukraine. They were there about two weeks. They just spent all of their money. They had like zero dollars. And four men burst into their apartment to get money and beat Tim until he was unconscious. And he woke up in the morning, bloody, dazed. He had a double concussion and some hemorrhaging. They had no money. They didn't know a doctor. They didn't know anything. And at the airport, right at that moment, had landed a team from their church who was supposed to come next week, but had come a week early when the charter made a change for them. And because it was a week early, guess who was on there? A doctor who specialized in facial surgery. And he came and diagnosed him with three breaks in his skull that the Russian doctor's x-ray machines didn't see. And they airlifted him immediately to uh, Ireland where he was treated for a couple months. God was doing things upstream. God works that way. You might be wondering, how are we going to continue to be a more vibrant and substantial church? How can we influence this community when, when it seems like it's been so hard for so many years? I believe God is working in the lives of untold scores of people who live here and who haven't even moved here yet. And they are going to be willing to give God a try. If they hear that message from you, if they are welcomed by you, if they are, if they are loved by you. Vince uh, Antonucci, some of you know, is one of our first church planters. A few, year ago, a few years ago, started a church in Virginia Beach called uh, Forefront, which has reached lots and lots and lots of 20-some-year-olds who have never, never gone to church. And Vince resigned about a year and a half ago and moved to Las Vegas and has started a new church on the, on the Strip. There's, there's 280,000 people who live in this 20-some block area. 20, I don't remember the exact size, but it's not that small. It's in the core. There was one mission church for people who were you know, down on their luck. And he started a church there. But everybody told him, you can't do that. And he did. And I got to see, you can go on YouTube and look up the videos. He had his first baptism service a few weeks ago. And he baptized seven people. And you know what all seven of them said? If you would have asked me two months ago if I would have ever, ever in my life gone to church, I would have laughed at you or sworn at you. I would never, ever see myself doing this, let alone taking this step of being baptized into Christ. And I know Vince worked for two years before he moved. 
God was working upstream to touch the people that he is now reaching in, in good numbers in a place where people said you can't even start a church. I know you're helping, hoping for miracles to happen in this church and in your life, but they can. They have. They will. Don't focus on the problems. They're God's opportunity to do a miracle because it tells us before every miracle, I need a problem. And purify yourselves and set yourselves apart as the people of God to be holy because before every miracle, I need a commitment from his people. And remember, God has been working in advance. He has been working 19 miles upstream for miracles that are about to happen when you take your step of faith because before every miracle, he needs to see that we are moving forward in faith to do what he's asked us to do. This is, this is a fabulous church as far as I've always experienced good people, good leaders. You know, if you're living your life outside of, uh, outside of the church and, and don't know what that's like, there are great people here who will, who will meet with you and talk with you and love you and, and welcome you and serve with you. If you want to become a part of this church, you need to speak to John or one of the other elders. There are many positive ways to, to find service in this community. But folks, I know you can do it. I came here, this is really it, 20 years ago. Some of you look a lot older than <laughs> Easy, I know. I was meaning Mr. Pete. Think of the changes that have occurred in this church. Think of the people who have come through here and have gone on to ministries other places. Think of the future that is still yet to be built. God is able. That's where he, that's where he dwells. On the edge of our faith in the midst of the miracles. God bless you. God allow you to do what he's called you to do and to be the people. He's called you to be. Amen. Let's all stand. If you have a decision.